Hi, this is Pam Brumman, and you're listening to Life Giver. Welcome to the Life Giver Marriage Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your military or first responder marriage. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to share this journey with you. Close your eyes for a minute if you want to see the world. They know I'm here no matter what, but they also know I'm going to tell them when they're wrong. You know, you're not perfect. I love you, but you're not perfect. So it's okay to make mistakes, but you'll still get in trouble. Doing that with boys, they know no matter what, you're on their side. Girls, there's drama every day. Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver Podcast. This is Corey, and we are still in a parenting series, and I thought we needed to touch on the topic of teens. And because I don't have teenagers, I have worked with teen girls for a season, um, but because my kids are not quite teens, I thought we needed to bring somebody onto the show that has experience working with teens. And the first person that came to my mind was a good friend of mine, is a good friend of mine, Pam Brummett who um, she and I met when I was back in Colorado. If you've listened to this podcast, you've probably heard me mention Pam before. I may not have called her by name, but I have definitely thrown out that friendship out there to the world about how much Pam made such a difference for me in my first assignment in uh, my view of parenting and my view of being a military spouse and what that looks like. And so I am so excited to introduce you guys actually finally to Mrs. Pam Brummett. Um, And she is going to give us some of her amazing wisdom on kids. And uh, Pam, we're not expecting you to be absolutely perfect here. But um, I think that you carry, number one, such a joyful outlook on mothering and being a wife and being a military spouse. And I think that um, one of the great things that you can offer a lot of our listeners and also to me is, and this is something you've always done wonderfully for me, is that I've always come to you with like freak out moments as a mom of like, oh my gosh, I'm ruining my children or they did this at school. What do we do? You know, we want to kill somebody. And you always have this great ability to just calm me. And so um, I think that's one of the great things that I think you're going to add to the show today is just calming a lot of the parents out there that are really starting to worry about the culture, worry about their kids, think about how do we raise successful teenagers and successful adults. And so let me introduce you real quick. Um, Pam has been married for 23 years to Kevin, and um, they are, Kevin is now retired, and they're at Texas A&M, and he is a cadet training officer. And Pam is working as well. She's taken some time off at her job to spend some time with us today. And they were in the military for over 20 years, and so they are in their forever home, I guess if you want to call that, in Texas. They have three children. Toby is 20, their oldest son. Cody, their second son, is 18. And Kaylee, their girl, is 15. And so we are going to get into the differences between boys and girls and all of that great stuff. So Pam, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to talk to you. I am so glad to be here. It's so much fun seeing you and... As Corey said, we're great friends and we don't get to be together anymore, so this is wonderful. I know. I'm so excited. Those of you who are just listening to the audio portion of this cannot quite hear the the giant smile that's on my face. <laughs> um, hopefully, we'll, we'll get through this without getting into intense girl giggling um, because it's sure to happen. 
Um, so Pam, let's start off. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your story with Kevin, um, a little bit about what Kevin did when he was in the military. You guys are Army. And so just share a little bit about the 20 years of your military experience and what you what that looked like. Um, we started out as enlisted, uh, so that is definitely different. We went to Hawaii first with no children, which was great and wonderful. Uh, it is expensive there, so we had some issues that way, but it was lots of fun. We had Toby there, and um, he learned to swim in the ocean, and I mean, how can you start off any better than that? Then we moved around about every three years until we, and he had small deployments throughout that time. This is before war hit. Um, he would have deployments for three to six months, random places, uh, the Sana, uh, Haiti, things like that. Um, and then when we got, from there we went to Tennessee, from there we went to Fort Benning, Georgia, and he became a ranger instructor. And while we were in RTB is when 9-11 happened. Um, and at that point, I had had my eldest, Toby, I had Cody, my second oldest in Tennessee, and we had just had Kaylee, and she was two weeks old when 9-11 happened. So my husband took off that morning um, to finally take leave, and they called him back and said, nope, come back in, everybody else is. Um, while we were there, he decided to switch over to officer. He went to um, OBC, or OCS is what they call it. And then um, from there, he has been an officer, and we've gone back to Tennessee, and Colorado, and Virginia, and Louisiana, and finally retired after oh, Fort Hood, and then retired. So that's kind of been our whirlwind, moving all the time. We've had some places where we stayed four or five years, and we've had some places where we stayed six months. So you guys have both the experience of enlisted and officer in, in your experience. And so I think that adds a lot of value because you know both worlds and what that's like. And 20 years is a long time. Most of us hope to get to 20 years and wonder if, it's, if we're ever gonna survive 20 years. So what is it like, before we get into the whole parenting thing, what is it like to now be in what everybody calls their forever home and be retired? Um, the weirdest part is realizing how much stuff we accumulate. Because when you're moving all the time, you're purging, you don't want to go over your weight limit. The other day I opened a closet and I was like, oh my gosh, what is in here? <laughs> really, that is the difference of not purging. And not, I'm like, goodness gracious, my daughter has more clothes than any person ever should need. And if we were moving that around, that would not be an issue. That's we would be purging all the time. So that's one of the weird things of once you get in your forever home, you don't think of. Um, it is nice to paint one last time and things like that, you know, and not have to recreate and re-sew curtains again. And <laughs> I always loved the fact that when you moved in, you enjoyed moving in. You painted walls, you really created a home. And um, I know for me lately, I have stopped painting. You know, but maybe it was because we moved a lot in the last couple of years. But um, that was one of the things that I loved and I learned from you is that you, because it was my first assignment, it was the first kind of exposure to coming in and really settling in and making it your home. Well, and I learned that from someone else also. Mm -hmm. I learned that from a senior officer wife and she was an interior decorator, Jen Schweikert. She's wonderful and we absolutely loved her. And 
that's what she did. She would go in and make quarters, rental house, wherever she was, she made it her space, her house. And when I realized that, when I started doing that, it makes all the difference in the world. We will sign for housing. And before our furniture gets there, we have two days usually and we paint. And it really did make a difference. Do you find yourself now like wanting to pack up and move? Just does it, does the moving itch happen or are you just done and settled in and excited to settle in? I don't think we really have a moving itch. We have a wonderful house. We got very lucky. And because our children are where they are, the everything's changing. You know, we, we got in this house and everybody was still in high school. And now we have one in college in the same town. Um, at the same college my husband's working at. And we have so progressed that way. It's kind of different, but I really haven't said I want to move. I think probably because this time I'd know I'd have to do it all myself. <laughs> There's no packers coming in and packing me out in two days. So I'd rather just not do that part. That's great. <laughs> that makes a huge difference. It really does. So, okay, let's get into this whole parenting thing because when I first met you, I think Toby was 12. Pretty sure he was 12 because at the time we were all, you know, the, all the guys were deployed and we were desperate for somebody to watch the little ones. And so we were like, Toby is right on the edge of 12 where he's allowed to watch children for one hour. And we yeah. took advantage of that. So I remember he was 12 when he first started coming over and kind of helping some of us out. So um, I know he was 12. And for those of you who have been listening to the podcast, have heard the story that, um, oh goodness, Pam was the one that when I couldn't get Jack, my youngest, to take his, you know, syringe full of medicine, you know, because he was pitching a fit. Pam was the one that just like marched right into my house and pinned the kid down and gave it to him and said, that's how you do it. Um, she was also the one that during um, the really intense battle of cop Keating when that all happened she was the one that brought her kids over to my house and it was the first time I've ever seen a family serve as a family and for Pam to Kevin was deployed at the time and Pam and her kids just walked straight into my house and I remember I was zoned out and staring at the wall and they literally without question without pushback her kids cleaned my house and shook the rugs and did the dishes and just reset my entire house and then went back home and it was like the most amazing gift that anybody could have ever given me but at the same time I was floored by seeing kids 12 and under serve another family without question and so it's one of the reasons why I've always looked up to Pam and um, asked for her advice and guidance because she's done something right we're not saying that you're perfect by all means because <laughs> I don't want to put you up on a pedestal that way but I think that everybody it's important for people to have a mentor and it's important for people to know when they become a mentor to be able to pass it down and so let's talk a little bit about, um, we've gotten a lot of questions about parenting teens. So let's go back and talk about when they were younger. Um, what do you look back on now and say you did right? Structure, rules. What kind of structure and rules worked for you guys? I know that everything's different for each family, but for you guys, what worked for you? Um, we made sure the things that were important or what we concentrated on. You know, um, there were some things, did I really care what they wore? No. Did they have their clothes on the right way? Yes. <laughs> were their bodies covered? I mean, you know, little things, it's the give and take stuff. Um, and so really for us, 
we decided what was the most important things, you know. For us, most important was being respectful. Uh, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Um, trying to not to get your kids to fight, you know, that's a daily occurrence even now. Um, you know, trying to make sure they get along. But really, there were rules you didn't break, and there was structure to the day, and everybody had to pitch in with chores. I have to say, this is where I first learned how to do chores with my kids, because I remember coming over to your house. My kids were not quite old enough to be in school or were barely starting, and I remember coming over to your house, and inside your pantry door, this was in Colorado, inside your pantry door, you had a list of chores for the kids, and you had morning chores, and you had afternoon chores. So once they came home from school, they had a set of chores to do, sweeping the floor, doing whatever it was on there, and there was nothing for them to do as far as playing or free time until those chores were done I remember that and one of the other things that stood out in my mind is I remember you guys were really involved with Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and camping and I remember seeing you guys come home because you were two doors down from me I remember seeing you guys come home from camping or whatever activity that you had done for the weekend and all the kids were pitching in with taking everything out of the car and cleaning things up and there was no free time until everybody had worked together as a team to finish what you guys had started and that stood out for me as well. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, even the smallest child can carry their own pillow in the house. So for us, it was a, it's a team. We all went together. We all came home together. So guess what? We all had fun together. Um, sometimes it's mandatory family fun. You know, that we will do this together. I don't care what else is going on in your life. But most of the time, they never questioned it. I think being in the military, you travel so much going home to seeing family that it just becomes part of the natural way we did things. There's some room for negotiation sometimes with kids. And I, I think with the next episode that I'm going to do, we're going to talk about negotiations and win-wins and how do you, when should it be a lose and when should it be a win for who. Um, but when you look, over, look back on some of those rules, what were some of the rules that you guys were going to go to battle on as parents? Um, bedtime was a, was a rule. Uh, what did that look for like? Us, for us, bedtime was, okay, this is the time you start getting ready for bed. Because, you know, you can try to get them to bed at nine if that's, if that's what your bedtime is. And I've talked to people who had their kids in bed by 630. And I know people who let their kids stay up till 10. It's whatever you wanted we would kind of adjust it for their age and what they were doing and where we're playing soccer and things like that. But if I say I wanted them in bed by 8.30, well, then I knew I needed to start about 7.45, getting them that way, you know, making sure they're clean, making sure they have pajamas on, um, brush your teeth, that kind of stuff. Our deal was you're in bed by 8.30. And they would always say, oh, I don't want to go to sleep. Oh, you don't have to go to sleep. You just have to be in bed. Mm-hmm. And you can read as long as you want. I think that really made our kids good readers even because that was their ability to, you know, they're not sleeping. Um, but they're rereading. And, of course, they're going to fall asleep. But our thing was one of the things they had to do was bedtime, the others, chores. I think it also gives them a sense of control to know that, yes, they, you know, mom and dad are, have the say-so on what time I'm actually in my bed, but I get to have the sense of control of when I actually fall asleep. And because yeah. there's some things that we can't force our kids to do. And I don't know if I got this from you or someone else, but 
Um, one of the rules that ended up kind of trickling down into my family was you have to be in bed by a certain time. And I don't care what you do, if you read or whatever, your head has to be on the pillow. Because I figured if their head was on the pillow, they're going to eventually fall asleep. Correct. <laughs> Sooner or later. <laughs> I think I might have gotten that from you too. So is there anything that you look back and you wish that you would have done different or better? There's nothing big that jumps out that says, oh, we should have totally done this. Um, again, you know, a lot of times I tried not to sweat the small stuff. You know, that there's a great book. The bigger picture, you know, is this going to matter in 100 years, you know? So... That's, that's actually great wisdom. Um, a lot of people submitted questions about how do you um, parent as teen um, parent for teenagers. So why don't you share with us? You shared with us a little bit of the structure that you did when the kids were young. How did that structure change once they became teenagers? Um, what's interesting is we still have a chore chart. Do you really? In fact, um, Cody doesn't have a first period this year. So we kind of move things around and we're like, okay, you get the dishes in the morning. You're going to unload and load in the morning. And he was like, what? Why? You don't have first period. You can wake up at eight, do your chores and get to school on time. You can handle this, I promise. So, um, you know, there's things like that. We still do those things. Teenagers' rooms are never clean. I never walk in and there's an actual clean room. You know, and, and sometimes I'm just like, what is going on? They're like, mom, I've been busy. I was like, okay, well, the rules are you have to at least get dirty clothes in the dirty clothes hamper. Okay. The rest of it I can handle, but you know, especially boys, they need to make sure the dirty clothes are put away. It starts stinking in teenage years. So that's one of those battles that you're willing to, to fight for is at least the dirty clothes, but you're willing to let go of some of the other things. Yes, the bag that was dropped because I've now changed to another bag because I needed a bigger bag. Okay, well, nobody's coming up here during this week. So, you know, once a week I go in and go, okay, pick up your room, you know, and they do. And it's usually you take some, what, 15 minutes. It's not like when they were little and you told them to pick up your room and four hours later you still go up there and it's exactly the same. So how did you, you know, guys handle curfews? You know what? To be honest with you, we don't have a curfew. Really? How did they? We did not set because our lives were so crazy, we're always going different places and every day is different. We made the decision not to just set, all right, this is your curfew. Instead, we did a curfew every day. So we expected them to be at home. If they weren't at home, then I needed to know where you were, when you were gonna get there, when you were gonna come home, what were you doing? Okay, well, what time do you think you'll be home? And I mean, it changed, you know, if they were during the week going to work on a project, I was like, no, you still probably need to be home by 10, you know, but if it was the weekend, you know, we always kid with them. Nothing good happens after midnight. So why do you need to be out? Um, they didn't really try to stay out late. Mostly they'd go to somebody else's house or all their friends would come over to our house, which is my favorite part. Like I'm coming to our house. I'm always saying Oh, just have them come here. In fact, this year, um, my kids would go to church on Wednesday night or choir on Tuesday with the school or whatever. Um, and afterwards, they were going to Starbucks to sit around and talk and study. And I was like, why are y'all going to Starbucks and spending money on coffee? We have a coffee maker right here. I'll buy all the stuff. Just come here. And that's what they started doing. And then they were in my home. 
So I knew where they were. They still got to hang out. I didn't hang out with them. Sometimes they'd call me in there and we'd sit and talk with all their friends because they have funny stories and they love to tattle on each other. It's pretty good. But I made it a place where they could come and I just let them have run of the kitchen. If you feed them, they will come. It's true. And I want to say that um, it was sometime in the last year I saw on Facebook um, that one of your kids, it might have been Toby, I'm not sure, but one of your kids said that all of their friends came and gave you a hug for your birthday. Yes. Like all of their friends love you so much because you've opened up your home and you're always available and you're present and and your home has always been a place that's inviting for these kids to come and it's a safe place for them to come. And so they're a huge fan of you. Well, that's what we wanted them to be. You know, I again, it's almost, don't tell the children, because <laughs> that way I know where they are and what they're doing. But it is, it's a safe place. We've always been the center. We, even with Toby being in college, because we're here, his buddies come to the house and they all call me mom. They all come in when there's an away football game. They come to our house. We watch football. I feed all 16 of his guy friends, you know. Now they're bringing their girlfriends over with them. That's a whole like, other budgeting expense. Completely different budgeting expense. But um, they're happy and they feel there's a place they can go and just sit and be normal, which is what they really want. So, you know, you just, you said you don't have like a, a firm set curfew. However, you, it sounds like you're also communicating things to them. Like, you know, nothing good happens after midnight. So it sounds like there's a little bit of negotiation there so that if they feel like they need to go past midnight, like mom and dad don't want me to go past midnight. They've said that a million times, but if there is a reason, I better have a really good reason and it better be something that makes sense to them. Would, is that kind of how it goes? It is, especially, okay, so we'll take three different areas. First drivers, I want them in sooner. I'm like, guys, it's not you, it's the other people on the road. We live in a college town. So the later it goes, that means you've got college kids out drinking and driving, even if you don't want them to be. So I'd rather you be home earlier. As they get older and do stuff, it's still, what do you really need to do out there that's this late? I mean, you're in the age group. You're not going to bars. You're not, you know, going dance halls or whatever. Even with Toby, when he comes to live at our house during the summer, we still expect a curfew. We expect you to tell us where you're going and what you're doing. This is our house. Um, this is not your uh, apartment. That you can come and go and do what you please. So we definitely still have structure. That is one of those things that is called being respectful. Respectful you know, of your home? Respectful of our home. This is our home, you know? So please make sure when you come and you leave, one of my things is when you come in the door, yes, you have to say hello to me. I don't care where I am. You should find me and your father. They're really bad about that. But, you know, that's I think that's the military thing because dad's or whoever's the service member is gone. Um, but come say hello to me. Let me know you've walked in the door. You know, and then when you leave, you should not just be leaving my house randomly. If you're leaving, and I don't mean going in the backyard or the front yard. I mean, if you're getting in a car and going somewhere, you should say goodbye. It's respectful. So I think those are kind of some of the things we do that make it feel welcoming with still having rules and, you know, keeping some structure there. 
I love that, especially the sense of humor that I know happens in your house. You've always had a great sense of humor and making sure that that's there. Yeah, um, they love to do things um, and they are, they're pretty funny sometimes, you know, they love to scare each other. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, and then they think it's the funniest to scare me. <laughs> I, I don't understand, but, you know, they do, um, but yeah, they're pretty funny. I think all kids really are. So that brings up another point. Um, a lot of us who are in the thick of it, as far as like young kids and, and maybe are in the middle of, you know, our military career, um, the biggest question that is not asked, but is out there is, is the military going to ruin my children? Um, I know when Uh, you have moved as much as I know, even I have, um, my son is in middle school right now. He's in the middle of middle school, which is the worst time for in everybody's life is middle school. Um, but you know, you watch your kids and everybody has a different personality, but you watch your kids constantly try to make friends again and fit in again. And then as they get into middle school and high school, then it's your peer pressure and trying to make friends with the right circles and, um, sometimes falling into the wrong circles out of desperation. So, um, you know, what would you say about that? How has the military impacted your kids? Um, even my kids will say they loved being military brats. They loved moving all the time. Um, yes, they left friends behind, but they always made new ones. Our hardest move in the military, not once he got out, but in the military, was moving to a community that wasn't near a military base. Really? Yes, that was the hardest one. Uh, We moved to Louisiana for two years. Toby was a freshman in high school, and that really was, they'll even tell you now, none of my children enjoyed living there, really, because of the friends they didn't have and didn't make. Because when you're near a military base, even if you're not living on it, the school off base it's still usually at least 50% military kids and they get it. And everybody's new. You're not the only new kid. There's a bazillion new kids. And so they did not really have an issue moving from school to school to school. Now, once we retired, we moved here to A&M. Uh, we moved to College Station. Kevin was at Fort Hood, but we moved here because he knew he was retiring. They did not have an issue with these schools And I think it's because we already knew some people here. Oh, that helped. It helped. Um, But if you talk to them, this was not their hardest move. Their hardest move was to Louisiana not being around military kids. So what kind of things did you say to your kids to help them when they were getting into a new school and trying to find good circles of friends, especially if we're talking about teens here, that friend circle is really important. So um, how did you help guide them as they navigated finding the right circle to be in? By the time you get to middle school, you kind of know what kind of friends you like and don't like. You know, um, I think it's different for boys and girls. So for boys, I think their circle of friends kind of depend more on what they're doing. Are they in scouts? Are they in athletics? Are they in choir? Are they in into the tech? and computers and stuff like that. So I think your circle of friends follow you that way. And it's just knowing, I mean, it just happened the other day. Cody came home 
and they were talking about some kids who they know do drugs and got caught. And the comments that were made of, oh, well, yeah, we knew they're like that. We just stay away from them. So it's your kids knowing what's right and wrong and what they're willing to be involved in, what they're not willing to be involved in. Do you remember having these conversations with them about that? You know, I think we have the same conversations every parent has of, hey, you know, I mean, with anything. Hey, you know, if you go over there and there's drinking, you're, don't do it. It's not worth it. If drugs aren't worth it. You know, it's the same thing when we were teaching them gun safety. You go to somebody's house and there's a gun. The first thing you say is go to an adult. If there's not an adult there, you leave. So it's giving your kids, um, again, the structure. These are the rules. Don't break these rules. These rules are here for you. Um, and they've never really questioned, well, that's dumb. I think society does a good enough job in the school system, starting out with, you know, Red Week and drug-free zones when they're young, that it's easier now to see the signs as they get older. Same thing with drinking and things like that. Um, so all you really have to do is reinforce it when that's happening. Um, I don't think it's like, you know, I was in school and drugs were first starting. God, that's a long time ago. Um, you know, it was, it was random. What do you mean? Drugs are where, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's teaching your kids from a young age all the way back when they do their red ribbon week in elementary. And it just, you just, it's building onto it. You know, everything is a building block. I think that brings up naturally another question about helping your kids feel comfortable to open up to you in the first place if there was concern. And so you have boys and girls, and I know they're different. And a big question we actually got was, you know, I have a son and he's, you know, preteen, teenager. And how do we get our, our children to feel comfortable to open up to us? And, and do you feel like, at least in your family, do you see a difference between boys and girls and their style of being transparent with you? Yes. Um, I have two examples. So one, when Cody was in, boys are easier, I think, in certain questions. If you don't give them a yes or no question, that's what I try not to do. I try not to ask them yes or no questions where they can just go yes and get out of it. Yeah. It really opened our eyes. You know Cody, and we call him Sunshine, and he has blonde hair, and everybody loves Cody. Cody is nice to everybody. He is just one of those people. Um, Cody is the child when he was in pre-K, when they say, what do you want to do when you grow up? Cody's the one who says, when I grow up, I want to tell people about God. You know, as a parent, you're like, oh my gosh, we did something right. I don't know what it was, but it worked with this one. <laughs> when he was in junior high, you know, they send home these things that you have to read. And one of it was a thing on bullying. So I just happened to sit down. It said, hey, parents, make sure you read this with your kids. I thought, okay, here we go. Come here, sit down. So I sat down with Cody, and I was going through, you know, are you bullying anyone? No. Do you know people who get bullied? Yes. And we just kind of went through it, and one of the questions were, are you getting bullied? And he looked at me and said yes, and I was shocked. We were only, again, we were in Louisiana. We hadn't been there that long. Um, it was middle of fall, and I was like, what? By who? It's asking the questions that you don't think you really have to ask. 
because you think they would come home and say, but they don't. So make sure you're asking the questions and make sure they're not yes or no questions. You know, um, I've also heard that with boys, they listen better when you are physically touching them too. So putting your hand on their shoulder and talking to them at the same time. This works for husbands too, by the way. But... <laughs> But putting a physical touch plus what it is that you're trying to say it tends to open their ears a little bit better. Yes. Um, I never, let's see, even my kids now, you know, you have to hug when you come in and hug when you leave. We have always done that with our kids. We, I don't really let them get away with it. I'm the mom that will go and sit right next to them on the couch. Of course, I'm also the mom that my 20-year-old will come and sit in my lap and I'll be like, oh my gosh, get up you. So, pick your battles. But for me, that experience with Cody, oh my gosh, well, who is it? What's going on? And, okay, do you need help? Is this something you want to hold on your own? Or is this something, because they know Mama Bear exists. And I've only had one phone call ever from a child saying, I need Mama Bear. I am on my way to the school right now. They know it exists. I am here to protect you. I don't need to do it 24-7, especially when they get older. But I'm, they know I'm here no matter what. But they also know I'm going to tell them when they're wrong. You know, you're not perfect. I love you, but you're not perfect. So it's okay to make mistakes, but you'll still get in trouble. But I think doing that with boys, they know no matter what, you're on their side. I think that really helped with Cody. Kaylee is different. Girls, there's drama every day. There really is. And I don't care what the drama is. Um, it could be something small that she's over in five seconds to as we get older, now there's boys involved. Um, we do have a rule. You, our rule in our house, no matter if you're a boy or a girl, you don't date till you're 16. I don't see a purpose. I, you don't need to have a boyfriend. You don't need to have a girlfriend. You should just be friends. Um, you can like somebody, but How we're not dating. How did that work for the kids? Boys, it was fine. Actually, the boys could care really less. Kaylee, we had a, she's a freshman. She's only 15. She had a boy who did like her and wanted to date her. And we said, no. Like, I mean, y'all can like each other, but there's no dates involved. You know, if you want to talk on the phone, hey, you'll see each other at school. But she doesn't date till you're 16. And it's amazing that boy decided that was not what he wanted to wait on. Wow. And I thought, you know what? That's fine. You're 16. You know, she's got plenty of time. Um, we have told them certain things their whole lives when they've had rough days in middle school and high school. These are the best days of your life. You'll look back and you'll have great times. These are also the worst days of your life. Everybody's hormones are going crazy. Everybody has bad days. Everybody can be ugly to a best friend. Don't let that stuff wear you down. Very few people find their soulmate in high school. So this is not your priority. You know, your priority is to do your grades. Your priority is to be active with friends and in the community and things like that. All that other stuff will work itself out. You know, that's what college is for. For high school school. So do you feel that because you have always been affectionate with your boys, that they have just naturally, even into their teenage year, years, been open to that affection continuing? I think so. I never stopped. You know, and there would be times, you know, they'd, we'd, I'd walk up to them and they'd be like, hey, I'm like, what? No hug? 
They're like, oh, sorry, mom. Okay. Too, and you're being weird. You know, to us, we, the non-affection is weird, not affection. So um, we made it, that's just the way it is. So I think, yeah, it just, it never ended. So there wasn't a thing that, oh, that's weird. Um, let me ask a little bit about the drama with with your daughter and how to manage some of that. So there was a phone call you and I had one time, and thankfully it wasn't your daughter that was struggling, but it was a friend of hers that was struggling. And so maybe do you have some guidance on how to talk with your kids when you see warning signs in other kids? Or have your kids gone through anything difficult where you saw some warning signs that wasn't just them coming up and being transparent with you, but you had to kind of keep your radar on so that you saw when they were struggling? Um, yeah, Kaylee had a friend who was going through a rough time, and I don't know all the background to it, but I knew enough that Kaylee said she was concerned about this friend, and so I just kept asking questions, and I'd ask questions about the girl. Um, so you saw so-and-so today. How is she? Well, da da And it progressed into Kaylee found out she was cutting herself, and Kaylee was really worried because of the things the girl said. She realized, wait a minute, that sounds funny. That sounds weird. And she'd be like, Mom, so-and-so said this today. Well, in what context and stuff. And so, yeah, it went from there. Um, I ask a lot of questions of my children about their friends, and I will pick names that I know they've heard, I've heard in the past. So how was Ashley today? Or how was science? You said that so-and-so, you know, got a bad grade and they were really upset. I try to remember those things so I can pull from it later because that seems to open them up. You know, they're not just, um, how was your day? What I love about that idea, though, is not just that you're paying attention and you're thinking about what their day is like and recalling opportunities to have them open up. But I think that because you are asking those questions, it causes them to be a little bit more aware of their surroundings and it teaches them to think outside of themselves too. So let's say a friend of theirs did get a bad grade. I think it teaches them to step outside of themselves and be compassionate and actually think about how is my friend doing since that bad grade or, or whatever happens? So I can see that being good both ways. To be honest with you, like with girls, like we said, the drama, also having to teach them to let it go. <laughs> you know, as girls, we don't let it go very well. We don't. There's some things, and, you know, there's some things that I'll say, okay, I know you're still upset about this. It's three days later. You need to kind of get it out of your system by the weekend, okay? Because then that's just weird. You know, come on. So, or if it's something really small, you know, they'll get over it really fast. But I think helping them realize this is not the end of the world, no matter what it is. I, I think it helps them move on because a lot of things that happen in high school, it, you just have to move on. Okay. So I'm, I want to be respectful of your time. So I want to get in a couple of these extra questions that people have asked before I let you go. Um, what are, what have you guys done when it comes to social media? That's a big question of managing social media and video games and that kind of black hole that is, is just sucks teenagers in. Okay. So, um, it's harder the older they get and it's, it's even harder now with Kaylee being younger because, you know, when Toby was a freshman in high school, he wasn't on his phone every five seconds. And she's a girl, so I think it's even more. Um, we have certain rules, again, structure. I have your passcode to your phone. 
if I ever go over to your phone and start to put your passcode in and it doesn't work, it becomes my phone for a week. Period. I paid the bills. You live in my house. I get to know what's going on. I've only really had to do that a couple of times. And it's been begging, but mom, I just changed it today. Well, you know the rules. When you change it, you're supposed to text message me, you know? So I use social media and I use technology to also help me. We, there are certain things they're not allowed to have on their phone. We have had talks about, now Kaylee's in high school, she got Snapchat, but it's one of those things that's how a lot of them communicate. So I don't want to take her away from it because I don't want her to, you know, be the kid that doesn't have it, but we watch what they do. We do limit it. There are certain apps that absolutely not allowed to have. Which Um, ones are those? That's what I'm trying to remember. And what's funny is the apps that Kaylee is not allowed to have are really ones her big brothers have said she cannot have that. Really? Well, there's a couple that come to my mind, like Kick is a big one. The ones she has are Facebook, Snapchat, and she had an Instagram and we made her get rid of it because we're like, why do you need it? I think she has a Twitter account, but that's not what they do. The kids her age group right now, it's Snapchat. So, yeah, the Facebook yeah. is more for the parents. They We've taken it over. Anything else that you want to talk about as far as um, peer pressure and things that you've learned since the kids have been teens that have, that's gone really well on helping them navigate some tough situations as teens? Actually, um, what do you do? Do you still ground for discipline? Oh, yeah. But you take away, well, and, and that's what we've always done. We've always grounded or taken away what we know is important to them. If you take what's important to them, it affects them more. I remember when Toby was, when we were living in Colorado, golly, I can't remember what he did now. We grounded him from his books for a week. He was devastated. He's like, what am I supposed to read? I'm like, you can still read the Bible. (laughs) What? That's boring. I was like, no, it's not. You got Daniel in the lion's den. You got all these great stories in here. He did not find that amusing. He didn't do what he did again. He's like, yeah, he will still talk about it. We ground from their drivers. We take away a car. It's my car. You know, I am letting you use this. You're supposed to take care of it, but it's my vehicle. So we do. We ground them from their vehicles. We ground them from going places. We ground them from their phones. Communication with their friends is really important. So they will do almost anything to not be cut off. Good point. Good point. So look, before we, I definitely need to ask, how are you and Kevin staying connected 23 years in marriage and now they're teenagers and they're loud and they're all over the place and you're probably still coordinating activities. So how have you guys managed to stay so connected while raising these three awesome kids? Um, <laughs> some days it's better than others. <laughs> You know, and I think for us, it's always been a never give up situation. So we're going to have our good days. We're going to have our bad days. Uh, If you know me and you are my friend on Facebook, you know, we just had our anniversary. We were all excited. We're like, okay, we're going to go out. He's like, where do you want to go? Okay, let's go here and then we'll go here. And all of a sudden we realized we can't do any of that tonight. (laughs) First of all, um, we have... Um, somebody who's one of our kids, Cody, who's driving, we would have had him pick up Kaylee and take her and drop her off at pole vaulting lessons and pick her up from pole vaulting lessons after school. And he just got a job. So now he's working Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. And so one of us would have to do that. 
So we're like, okay, well, that won't work. And then we got a phone call. Hey, don't forget we have these meetings. So we had a choir meeting because our kids are going to New York for spring break and singing in Carnegie Hall. So we had to go to a meeting. Well, that was at 6.15. And Kaylee is trying out for cheerleader this year. And so I had to go to a cheerleading meeting. So we weren't even in the same meeting together. <laughs> you go that room, I'll go to this room. So it's just one of those things. And then we're like, okay, we'll do it the next day. And I don't know, you know, he had to stay late at work. And so we still have actually not gone out for our anniversary. We're like, eh, we'll get there. <laughs> I think you learn how to be extremely flexible when you've been a military family and realizing that sometimes uh, vacations and anniversaries, as long as you celebrate them at some point, some people celebrate Christmas in the middle of summer because that's when you can do it. We laughed at our anniversary we were at least in the same country. Yeah, that's right. It's baby steps, okay? Baby steps. (laughs) Okay, so anything else, what would you say to all of these military families out there that are in the midst of their military career raising kids? Um, just encourage them a little bit. What's on your mind? What have you learned as a mom? Um, these kids are, are doing great, and they really are genuinely awesome kids, and they're some of the best kids that Matt and I have ever come across. And so, um, you know, we want them to be human, and that you said it before, you know, kids are going to make mistakes too. But um, for sure, something that really stood out to us is that you guys serve as a family. You um, encourage them to give back to their community. They've always been, you're right, extremely respectful. And that's always been something that's been very important um, to you. And I know even from a young age, they called me Miss Corey. And I remember you teaching them that and being respectful towards me. So what would you say to encourage a lot of these families out there? Um, I think our kids... I mean, thank you very much. I love my children very much. And then when people say that they're amazing kids, that's great to hear. Yay, I haven't completely blown it. So, you know, it's like one of those things. Um, I kid with my children all the time when I make mistakes or when um, something goes wrong. I'm like, well, just put me in for Mother of the Year Award again because I'm getting it. Uh, you can't, You can't worry about everything that's going wrong because you still have to go forward. So um, I think that our kids being military kids, anybody who has a military child, your kids still are one up on everybody else. And I don't mean that bad to other people in the world, but um, even our kids notice it. You know, when they have friends who are military kids, um, they're like, oh, they get it. Or the way they think about things are the same. Um, The way they act, the way... They're respectful. Um, The things they believe in life are important. Um, I think military kids get it better. Um, I know people worry, oh, my children. I have a couple of things. Let me kind of go back. I have a couple of things that I've always said when our kids, while we were in the military, we never lied to our kids about what was going on with Kevin, no matter how young they were. We told exactly what was happening. Um, they knew they could get the truth from us. Uh, dad was at work. He was at work. Uh, dad was in the field. He was in the field. Dad was deployed. He was deployed. And we said, what country? Now, I may not say, oh, he's in horrible danger when they were little, you know, and make them scared, but they knew they weren't here. Um, so I think it gave them a sense of always knowing what's going on and that we would always be truthful with them. I think it helped them to become people who could understand differences and that things change all the time. 
And that's one of the things I see the most in military kids, having children going into college, um, being in a college community, I will say going through admissions, that is one of the things the admissions people are telling me. Oh, your kid is gonna do good at college. Military kids always do good at college because they understand change and adversity. So I would never ever say that being a military kid was a deterrent. I think it's one of the better things you could actually do for your children without even knowing it. I think it really does make them stronger people. They're more diverse. My kids are less prejudiced than most children I know because they were. I mean, whether it was your race or your religion, you lived with everyone, so you weren't in communities like that. Your community was military. Everybody was your friend at school, and all of our daddies worked together. So it did, it, it made it different. So they don't see the world, I think, the way people who live in normal communities see it. So I think that's a great thing for our kids. So Pam, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your wisdom. It's always amazing to catch up with you. I'm always learning from you. I can't tell you how many parenting situations Matt and I have been in. We were like, we should call Pam. Uh, <laughs> um, because you just have such a calming, um, lighthearted approach to being a mom and to life too. And it's something that's added such joy to our life. And, and you, were the, you were the neighborhood mom. You were the one that kind of kept us all from freaking out from <laughs> whatever was going on. And um, if, if you know, people hear nothing else today other than the importance of mentoring, to know where you're at, to know that sometimes it's your turn to give back. And... I think that I realized recently that after being, I think I'm now in our fourth or fifth assignment, that it's my turn. And it's been amazing to be able to pass some of that down and to have even opportunities to pass some of Pam's wisdom down. But um, the importance of reaching out and finding a mentor if you don't have one, but also realizing that everybody can mentor someone else in something as well. So Pam, thank you so much for joining us today. Tell Kevin and the kids I said hi, um, and soon we're gonna find a way to get together. Definitely. Well, it was great being here, and thank you for asking me. I appreciate it. Would you like to send in a shout out and have it included on the Life Giver podcast? Anyone, civilian or military, can thank a military spouse who has made a difference in your life, or say thank you to a service member for working hard on your marriage. Record your shout-out by using your voice memo app available on your device and email it to Corey at CoreyWeathers.com or call in and leave a voicemail shout-out to 706-431-7222 and we will do our best to include it in future podcasts.